0: There is no area of life left untouched by the tyranny of the spirit of a system opposed to God at any point in time. Frankly, it's sad to see how people are completely controlled by the spirit of their times.
1: Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington, Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. Are there certain beliefs you are loyal to that impact your spiritual journey? Hello again, I'm Bill Wright. Today, Tom has part four of a series titled, This Is Your Life. We're learning that aside from Jesus Christ, you're spiritually dead, living in an unbroken pattern of sin. And you're not alone. You're simply in perfect step with the zeitgeist, the spirit of the times, the mindset of our age. But through God's sovereign grace, he has made you spiritually alive in Jesus Christ. And today, Tom will look at how through Christ Jesus, you will see a decreasing pattern of sin and an increasing pattern of righteousness. That's something worth celebrating And it's all made possible by the perfect life and the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ. But how exactly? Keep that in mind as we join our teacher now on The Word Unleashed. The day would
0: come when Adam would die physically by God's grace. It was not immediate, but it would come. And if Adam had not repented, and I believe he did repent, I believe we will meet Adam and Eve in heaven... But if he had not repented, then ultimately he would have experienced what the book of Revelation describes as the second death, our eternal death, eternal separation from God in a place called hell. That is what follows sin. Sin is followed by death in all of its forms. This is consistently true throughout Scripture. I'm not going to take you to every reference even that I have here in my notes. But turn to Ezekiel 18. You see it again here. In Ezekiel's time, the children of Israel had a proverb that they really liked. The proverb was, the fathers eat the sour grapes, but the children's teeth are set on edge. In other words, the children are paying for and being punished for the sins of the fathers. God said, don't say that. It's not true. Verse 4, behold, all souls are mine. The soul of the Father as well as the soul of the Son is mine. The soul who sins will die. Sin is followed by death, again, in all of its forms. In Romans chapter 6, a passage you're very familiar with, perhaps have even memorized. Romans chapter 6, verse 23, for the wages of sin is death. What you get paid for sin, what you earn by sinning is death. Spiritual death and physical death and ultimately eternal death. That's what the Scriptures teach. But perhaps nowhere more clearly than back one chapter in Romans chapter 5. Turn there with me for a moment. Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Therefore... Just as through one man, that's Adam, sin entered into the world, so you had sin, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because in Adam, as our representative, all sinned. Verse 15, but the free gift, that's the grace of Christ, is not like the transgression, for if by the transgression of the one, that's Adam, the many died, he's using an understatement there, he's using a figure of speech, he means everybody died. We all died. Here's the point. Because of sin, particularly here, Adam's sin, we were born spiritually dead. Sin is the root cause of our spiritual death. Now turn back to Ephesians chapter 2. Because here we learn that we were twice dead. Romans 5 says that we're dead by nature because of or by reason of Adam's sin as our representative. Here in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, we learn that we are dead as well by reason of our own trespasses and sins. Look at verse 1. And you were dead by reason of your trespasses and sins. Your makes it very personal. Your means that the sin that makes us dead is our individual sin, our personal sin. Paul is saying that what lies back of our spiritual death is our own sin and our own trespass. Now, what does he mean here by trespass and sin? Well, we ran into this word trespass in chapter 1, and we defined it there basically as a deviation from the path of of truth and righteousness. A trespass is a deviation off the path of righteousness. The truth is, we have never been on the path of righteousness. Our whole life is a deviation from the path of righteousness. What is the path of righteousness? You remember how Jesus defined it? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. In other words, I am to love God with my entire being every moment of my life. And the second, he said, is likened to it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You shall love the people around you like you love yourself. Well, I don't know about you, I do know about you, but I know even better about me. I have never one time in my life been on that path. There isn't a second of my life I have loved God like I'm supposed to love God. There isn't a second of my life I have loved others as I'm supposed to love them. My whole life is a deviation. That's why Isaiah said, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone, what? To his own way. I'm not on God's way. I've never even tried to be. I'm on my own. In, in myself. Sin means our inclinations, our thoughts, our words and actions that fall short of Accomplishing what we were created to be and to do, and that is to bring glory to God. So, a trespass is a deviation from the path, a conscious and deliberate false step against a holy and righteous God, and sin is failing to measure up to what we were made to be and to do, and that is to bring glory to God. Notice that both of these words are plural trespasses and sins. That means we're talking about a series and succession of individual sinful actions. We are dead not only because of our sin nature inherited from Adam, but we are dead because of our own accumulated individual sins. We are twice dead. This fall, we had some friends come to visit us from out of state. They came from Florida and. You know how it is when people come to visit you here in Texas. They want to experience all things Texas. So we have kind of tour plan A, and we took them down to the stockyards, and we did the stuff that, you know, you're supposed to do and various other places here in the Metroplex. And one of the things they wanted to do was go horseback riding. And so we said, all right, we'll arrange that. And so we arranged to go to one of the local horse ranches here in the area. And we really had a great time. It was a wonderful experience. And while we were there, we saw an authentic Texas sign. I mean, a sign like you would only see in Texas. The sign there on the ranch said, trespassers will be shot. And survivors will be shot again. When I thought of that sign, I thought, you know, that's really a good description of how it is spiritually with every one of us. We are twice dead We are doomed because we're born spiritually dead because of Adam's sin, and we are spiritually dead as well because of our own sins and trespasses. That is the root cause of our condition. So our true condition, spiritually dead. The root cause, sin. Adam's sin as our representative and our own sins. Now that brings us to the practical results of our condition. The practical results of our condition, we see this in verse 2 and most of verse 3. Look at verse 2, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Verse 3, among them we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind. Our condition, spiritual deadness. The cause, our trespasses and sins. And the practical result is described in these verses I've just read for you. Notice, as I pointed out to you last week, the repetition of the word formerly. You see it at the beginning of verse 2. You see it again at the beginning of verse 3. By formerly, Paul means before our conversion, before our salvation, before, as verse 5 says, God made us alive. So what you have here is a description of all of those who have not come into a right relationship with God through Jesus Christ or the past of those who have. Now, the words in which you see there at the beginning of verse 2, those words refer back to the phrase trespasses and sins at the end of verse 1. We were dead because of trespasses and sins and... We used to walk in trespasses and sins. We used to walk in them. Now, for those of you who are biblically literate, you know that this is a familiar biblical metaphor, this idea of walking. It's a very familiar, very common biblical metaphor for lifestyle, conduct. In fact, here in uh, Ephesians, Paul uses it eight times to describe our lifestyle, our conduct, our behavior, Look down in verse 10, you see it again. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Our behavior, our conduct, our lifestyle would be commensurate with what God decided would be true. Turn over to chapter 4, verse 1. As Paul enters the practical section of this epistle, this is where he hinges. Therefore, as a result of all I've told you about what God has done, I, the prisoner of the Lord, plead with you, I implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. I want your conduct, your lifestyle, your daily patterns and habits to be in keeping with what you have learned yourself to be in Christ. Our And it goes on, by the way, in several other places. In verse 17, he uses the same metaphor of walk. Again, in chapter 5, verse 2, chapter 5, verse 8, chapter 5, verse 15. In all of those places, he's using this idea. Our lifestyle, our conduct, our habits of life is what he's talking about. We have a habit, a tendency as human beings to get to know someone a little bit and then to pick out the dominant characteristic that's part of them and to sort of think of them like that. We have a little bit of interaction with someone, and we'll say something like, well, that's certainly a cheerful person, or, you know, that's a very gracious person, or a humble person, or that's a very mean-spirited person. You know, we sort of characterize what that person is like. Well, according to God's perspective, the dominant and defining characteristic of our lives was sin. Sin. The dominating quality of our lives apart from Christ is the the constant, I should say, repetition of individual sins. Before Christ, our state or condition was spiritual death. The root cause was Adam's sin and our sins. And the practical result is a lifestyle defined by the constant practice of sin of various kinds. Verse 2 says, we formerly walked in in trespasses and sins. But notice what Paul adds, very interesting. He adds, we walked according to. That means in conformity to, in step with. Paul is saying our sinful lifestyle was in complete conformity to, our perfect step with, three very powerful forces that deeply influenced our lifestyle and thinking. I told you a couple of weeks ago, I think, about a video series that Sheila bought me for Christmas, a great documentary on World War II. It's called The World at War, powerful series, but as I've watched that, one of the most frightening images, I think, is that of the goose-stepping Nazis marching down the street in lockstep. And I think the reason that's so frightening is because it symbolizes the way that the Nazi propaganda machine forced complete conformity. You had to be in complete lockstep with them. The same is true for every unbeliever. They all think they're free. When we were unbelievers, we thought we were free as well. They all think they're completely in control of their thinking. That they are completely in control of their choices. That they are completely in control of their lifestyle and the choices they make. But in reality, before Christ, we were all slaves walking in lockstep with forces that were too powerful for us to resist or to control. What were these forces that drove our sinful lifestyles? There were three of them. Notice verse 3, or excuse me, verse 2 the world, also in verse 2, the devil, the prince of the power of the air, and in verse 3, the flesh, the world, the devil, and the flesh. These forces enslaved us. They controlled our thinking. They directed our decisions. They dominated our lifestyles. We walked in trespasses and sins according to, are in step with these three forces. The first of them is the world. We walked in lockstep with the world. Notice it says, we walked according to the course of this world. The Greek word that's translated course here is often translated and means age. It describes the world as it exists at a particular point in time. For example, if you remember history, your history when you were in school, we spoke of the age of enlightenment or the age of industrialization. We were talking about a period of time in history and its prevailing mindset and disposition. So by course, Paul means the spirit of the age or the worldview of a particular time, Now, the word world is the Greek word you're very familiar with. It's the word cosmos. In this context, it's not referring to the world of people. It's not talking about people. It's not talking about God's creation, the created world. It has another sense here. One of the leading Greek dictionaries defines it like this. That which is hostile to God lost in sin, wholly at odds with anything divine, ruined, and depraved. That's the world. Honer defines it as the satanically organized system that hates and opposes all that is godly. When you put it together, you have the age of the world. You have the current prevailing mindset and values of all that's opposed to God. William Hendrickson defines the age or course of this world as the spirit of the age that marks mankind alienated from the life of God. Ken Hughes, who it was a delight to have with us last Sunday and who we enjoyed fellowship with, in his commentary describes it like this, those without Christ are captive to the social and value system of the present evil age, which is hostile to Christ they are willing slaves to the pop culture of the media, the groupthink of the talk shows, post-Christian mores, and man-centered religious fads. The spiritually dead are dominated by the world. you ever thought about that? Every non-Christian is controlled by the spirit of the age in which they live. They take their opinions from the New York Times or... The Dallas Morning News, they learn their perspectives from talk show hosts and celebrities. They learn what books to read from Oprah. The spirit of the age tells them what social issues are important, what causes they should support. It tells them what language to use, however vulgar it may be, to get their point across. It tells them how to dress and how to do their hair, what cars to drive, what kind of home to own the prevailing mood of the age tells them how to spend their time and how to spend their money. There is no area of life left untouched by the tyranny of the spirit of a system opposed to God at any point in time. Frankly, it's sad to see how people are completely controlled by the spirit of their times. Lloyd-Jones, in his time, wrote this of unbelievers. He says, they all conform It must be done. They dare not disobey. They are afraid of the consequences. Most lives are being controlled by it and governed by it. All their opinions, their language, what they desire, where they go, where they spend their holidays, it's all controlled and governed completely in lockstep with the spirit of the times. Paul says to the Ephesians, you formerly walked in trespasses and sins in conformity to the spirit of this world, the spirit of the age. But thank God for us, the tyranny of the age has been broken. We now make our decisions not based on what the culture around us tells us to do, but based on what pleases God. Listen, if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, God says that you are spiritually dead, that you do not have the life of God, and that you have no capacity to have a relationship with Him. And the reason for it is your acts of sin, your trespasses and sins, and in the sphere of those sins, you live and conduct your life. And you do that in lockstep with the mindset and values of the times in which we live. According to the Bible, your only hope is for God to miraculously intervene and rescue you. A rescue made possible by the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. This morning, if you will repent of your sins, if you will put your faith in Christ alone, then God has promised that He will rescue you that he will give you life. For the rest of us, primarily who are Christians here this morning, we have to remember that we are still susceptible to the siren song of the world, of the age in which we live. We are still tempted to walk in what Psalm 1 calls the counsel of the ungodly. How can we avoid that? Well, what does verse 2 of Psalm 1 say? The righteous man delights in the law of God, and in his law he meditates day and night. You remember Romans chapter 12, verse 2? Paul says, stop being conformed to the age. Stop being conformed to the spirit of your times. Don't let the thinking of the world push you into its mold. Rather, be transformed, how? By the renewing of your minds. And how does that renewing take place? thinking God's thoughts understanding his word and putting it into practice in our lives according to God listen carefully don't buy what you're being told according to God there are no free thinkers there are no self-made men there are no people who truly think and live outside the box Young people can be especially susceptible to this. Young people, do not believe for a moment that you are unique, that you are the exception, that you are the true nonconformist. You are merely conforming to a different group. There is no such person. Here's the bottom line. You will either be in lockstep with the Bible or you will be in lockstep with the spirit of the age, some part of the spirit of the age. God says there's the way of the righteous, and that's the way of the Bible, and then there's the way of the wicked, and that's everything else, the wisdom of the world. Do you delight in the Bible? Do you meditate in it day and night? If not, then you are walking in the counsel of the wicked. But the main lesson in Ephesians 1 isn't about what we need to avoid. The main lesson in Ephesians 1 is remembering what we were when God found us. We were dead, living in an unbroken pattern of sin. We were in perfect step with the mindset of our age. But thank God, by an act of sovereign grace, He made us alive in Jesus Christ. Now we are alive to God when once we were dead. We used to see sin as our lifestyle and pattern, but now by God's grace we see a decreasing pattern of sin and an increasing pattern of righteousness. We used to have our minds in lockstep with the spirit of the age, but now they're being renewed to think God's thoughts. Instead of the mindset of the age, we have the mind of Christ revealed to us in His Word. That is something worth celebrating. And it's all made possible by the perfect life and the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ.
1: That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed with part four of This Is Your Life. Join us again next time for part five. Does the Bible speak about the government and structure of the church? In his book, A Biblical Case for Elder Rule, Tom Pennington presents in-depth evidence from Scripture to show that God intends every local church to be governed by a plurality of godly men. In an age where a biblical ecclesiology is often neglected, it is critical to recapture what the Bible teaches about the structure of the church. Purchase your copy of Tom's book, A Biblical Case for Elder Rule, today at thewordunleashed.org. That's thewordunleashed.org. And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team, I'm Bill Wright. Thanks for listening to The Word Unleashed, Exalting God's Glory